when I first met my wife, she took me to Lawrence, Kansas, where her family lives. And she's got eight brothers and sisters and all Italians, and they're all married. And they got, you know, lots of kids and grandkids, stuff like that. And um, I, I walked into the house. I felt like I was walking into the, the wedding scene from The Godfather. You know, it was just like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I love it. I mean, I love the Catholic Church. I've... Um, I just love the Catholic Church. So you have you have no issues with me. I mean, I kind of pound the the Pentecostals in my book, but you know, it was like, you know they're the only ones that would hire me when I got out of prison. So I was like, okay, yeah, no, no, I'm fine with this. You know, that's like, <laughs> yeah, snakes are great. Yeah, oh, I love snakes. Juggle them. Oh, that's marvelous. Yeah, no, I, I you know I get it, but they weren't like the the people that I had in um, that I came across in prison. The the Pentecostals there who when when the the thing comes up about oh you don't get stabbed in the back by a brother i mean they mean it literally i mean it was, it was a literal thing it wasn't yeah. kind of it wasn't a figurative thing at all so it's, no I'm, I'm cool so whatever you need to do we'll do oh hey y'all hey buddy sorry uh sorry my meeting went long oh cool so i'm back i was gonna and tell this... you you're, you're a late late minister right yeah yeah my my um father-in-law and mother-in-law 88 years old our lay ministers in the Catholic Church, also. So I mean, I I, I get it. I'm really, but that's it's a very cool thing to do. Yeah. What 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 specific role do they do? You know, I all they did when when I went to mass with them uh, was they they were handing out communion. You know. To, oh yeah, yeah. And gotcha. And I'm trying to compliment them. So afterwards, I you know, I tell my mother-in-law, hey, you know, you were the best one in your row doing that. It was really <laughs> really good. All those other people were a bunch of chumps. Yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. But you were brilliant. I mean, just outstanding, you know. You could handle tall, tall people who wanted to receive on the tongue. Good job. <laughs> exactly. Good job. I'm six three and she's she's going, Yeah, no, and she's just kind of looking at me like you get you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I'm not Italian, you know, I'm Irish, but you know, I get it. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, good deal. It's good to have you. Uh, I think we have a. Uh, where are you calling from, Mike? I live on Padre Island, across the uh, the bay f- oh, nice. from Corpus Christi, Texas. Mm. Nice, nice. So we're practically neighbors. Yeah, I'm out here in the Houston area. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just it, we, my wife had a choice between going to Houston or uh, or Corpus for the uh, for a job as a director for the hospitals and all, you know, Grand High Puba type of thing. And she said, "Which do you like?" And so I did the research. You know, I'm working my dissertation, so I'm a research kind of guy. And I said, oh, no, no, we need to go to Corpus. There's there's an island across there, Padre Island. We need to go there. And she loves it. We love it. I mean, we had a little bit of a storm last year called Harvey. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we had it, too. Yeah. I mean, other than that, it made its way from you to us. <laughs> yeah, you got all the rain. We got the wind. So, I mean, it was, it was. Oh, it was brutal. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Well, it's good to have you, Luke. How are you? Good. I haven't even talked to you today. I know. I, I feel like I haven't I've talked to you in a week. Weird. I know. I know. I know the worst, uh, Mike. What are you uh, recording with? Well, I'm not recording with anything right now. I mean, I'm, I've got uh, remix. What are you speaking into? Sorry. Oh, uh, the microphone is some sort of yeah. audio technica thing that I, I read on the internet that was good for podcasting. And I'm an old broadcaster, so I'm kind of uh, you know kind of into that sound type of thing. You know, get the voice going and all. So it's an audio technica mic, and I've got a, a mixer that I work through, and, and I've got a Zoom uh, 600 uh, recorder. I use Audacity when I'm recording. Uh, they said, "Hey, you should record your book," and so I've been doing that. And uh, it's working. You got a great voice. It definitely yeah. you can tell that you were in broadcasting. You got me to voice. sleep. <laughs> well, <laughs> they said you can do, you can do a memoir, but don't do not do any kind of novel or anything like that. So 
the the memoir is working out fine. I can I can record that. But the other stuff, you know, I, you know, what I was going to do when Luke first called me, I was going, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, that type of thing. Be in the prison, in the prison type of thing. The the soprano type of thing. But so now I'll just go straight with this. But no, I like right. I like it. This I've never done a podcast before. And then when they said, "Hey, you should do one," uh, I said, well, "All right, we'll get Cynthia involved in it." And so she's she and I are going to do a a podcast together. And uh, very cool. Uh, oh, it's, yeah, you know, husband and wife podcast. Who thought of that before? But yeah, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Half the Christians in America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But she keeps me from swearing. That's the only thing that that, uh, that, that I, I had a little issue with swearing in my in my youth and in my adulthood, and, and so she'll raise an eyebrow when she knows I'm about to to let off an, an f bomb or something like that. <laughs> well, you you she's not on this podcast. Yeah, so there so you go. Free yeah. to cuss away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, no, sweetheart, you go to bed. Everything will be fine. Don't worry. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> with a last name like savage it's gonna be good yeah it's good now you know you're growing up as a kid and they're like, oh, you really a savage? i got busted knuckles and fingers from from all that kind of stuff from fighting when i was a kid that last name was not good growing up in the in the in the 60s and 70s well at least you had a name like mike and not sue yeah yeah like johnny cash exactly yeah. you're so proud of yourself for that joke I am, I am. I got a Johnny Cash joke in. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Well, my dad was a big Johnny Cash fan. All we listened to was the, what was it, the one in the middle was on the right and all that kind of stuff. And him singing the, you know, whatever, Folsom Blues, you know, it was kind of a... a Folsom pers- Prison Blues? Yeah, yeah, man. A pathetic thing for what his son was going to be going through, you know? <laughs> so why don't, uh, why don't we start at the beginning? Why don't we start at the beginning? Um, so you, how did you find us initially? What was the first thing? Because you ended up reaching out to us. And uh, you sent us a copy of your book, A Prisoner's Perspective, The Redemption of a Criminal Mastermind. I know. It's great, isn't it? I I I have to explain to everyone. It's it's ironic. I'm not saying I was a criminal mastermind. Back in the day, um, everyone who, whether they were a street dealer or, you know, a a guy like me that was in, you know, different types of crime, was a criminal mastermind when the the feds got hold of you. And um, so, anyway, that's it. But how did I hear about you guys? You know, an independent publishing type of guy. So I said, well, you know, I, I probably ought to get a publicist. So I hired this publicist and she said, look, we'll go through all these podcasts and we'll see, you know, and they came, she came across yours and she said, oh, wait a second, it's Catholic. Will it be okay? And I, <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. You know, so the, that's how I found out about you guys. And then when she said, you know, they're going to listen, you know, they actually want to talk to you. It's like, really? Somebody wants to talk. Why? Why would say, you know, I couldn't believe anybody wanted to buy a memoir to begin with. And I couldn't believe anybody would care about my life. So I started listening to you guys, and I listened. The first one I listened to was the Avengers that you guys had talked about, right? And and I said, <laughs> "That's yeah, a rough one to get started." Yeah, I know. <laughs> I said, "Well, I can deal with these guys." And, and so this weekend, I actually watched the Avengers: Infinity Wars, right? Nice. And, and and I looked at it, and I said, "Oh, this is awful. This is just awful." <laughs> and then I listened to you guys review, and I'm going, "Ooh, there, <laughs> there may be a problem here." But that was that was the deal. And then I listened, um, you know, some of the other things that you were talking about when when you know you fired Luke and and all these other. And I said, "Yeah, you know, I can get along with these guys. I, I think this is going to be just fine." You know, because when I did a talk show back in the day, back in the back in the '80s, when when talk was just starting, um, there I worked for the small station in, in Napa, California. And the I had no seven second delay, just my finger on a button, you know, type of thing. And yeah. I would I would call up these people and ask them if they wanted to be on the show. So I, there were a lot of people living in Napa Valley at the time. Uh, Robin Williams, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, people like that. So I call them up. Hey, you want to be on the show? 
yeah, why not? So Robin Williams would be on. And, you know, I just had to have my finger constantly by the button, you know, just in case <laughs> something happened. You know, How does an interview with him go? Like, what well, is that like? Oh, it was great. I have a very short attention span like Robin did. And it was, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, he was fabulous. I mean, I loved Robin anyways, from Mork and Mindy and all those sort of things. Good morning, Vietnam, uh, dead poet society, all that sort of stuff. And he was just, he was, he was fabulous. You know, he would just go crazy on, on anything, but I constantly had my finger on the button where I knew he was about to say something. I had to press the button, you know, no seven second delay. And I'm running my own board, doing all that kind of stuff. And so it was kind of madness and mayhem. Then I had a guy on from the BBC one time, a, a wine critic, right? And mm. he would come in and promote wines from Europe, which wasn't really popular thing to do when you're in Napa Valley, you know? And yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so we're drinking. You guys like this stuff. Well, what about my stuff? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we're we're drinking on the air, you know, and um, and I'll drink to that. Yes. Yeah, and it's a show that starts at nine o'clock in the morning. You know, even oh. better. Was, yeah. Until three o'clock in the afternoon when it wore off, you know, <laughs> yeah. it was, so it was just madness and mayhem. But, uh, you know, I love this kind of stuff when they were talking about podcasts. You know, I, I was in prison. I had no idea what a podcast was or a cell phone or the Internet or any of that kind of stuff. I'm there for 15 years. Only f cell phones I saw were the ones that the guards would smuggle into the to the prisoners. And, you know, they had the flip tops and all that. So when I got out and, and my publicist was saying, hey, you need to do podcasts. Like, oh, yeah, sure. So I'm Googling, you know, what is a podcast? <laughs> You know? Oh, yeah, totally. I'll do a podcast. <laughs> what is a podcast? Yeah, I don't have a pod. What am I going to listen to it on? You know, that type of thing. So, it's, mm -hmm. yeah, so that was that was kind of my my whole entry into the, the 21st century. So, yeah, so we heard about you and I listened to you guys and I said, yeah, we you know, we can do that. I listened to some others that, that, that were interested and I said, you know, I don't think I'm holy enough for them. <laughs> Take that, the crunch. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there are so Finally, many things that I... Joyce Myers. <laughs> right. Right. Or Joe Rogan. I was thinking Joe Rogan. Oh, and then I saw the Elon Musk thing the other day, and I went, oh, no, I don't think I should. I'm trying to get a job as a professor. I don't think it's going to look good if I'm you know, smoking dope on the air or something like that. Smoking weed with Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. That'll get you. Yeah. Another book out That's... of that, though. Possible another book. I know. <laughs> I was about to say, that's a great title of someone else's memoir, <laughs> Joe Rogan's. Mm. So why don't we, um, why don't we start just kind of uh, introduce? So obviously you've already mentioned about being in prison and stuff. There are so many myths <laughs> about prison, yeah. and there are so many truths that are ten times crazier than the myths. So why don't we just start off by, uh, I don't know, maybe if you want to mention a couple of these things, and then like maybe a couple of the myths of what people think prison is like, and then... Uh, and then we can talk a little bit about just a little bit about prison life, and then we'll back it up to the to the wider story. Because I just I just got I, I've been away from the prison that I volunteer at for over a month. It's the longest stretch I've gone since I first went a year and a half ago, and um, I went back, and it was like all the guys were there. They were all waiting for me because I told the guy, you know, I'll, I'll be there in two weeks. I'll be there in one week, and um, and it was just amazing, like walking in. But it was a new warden, and it was like the entire place was different. It wasn't, but it just felt that way because you get a new warden, new perspective, new rules, new this, new that. Um, what was what would be just a couple like myths that people believe that you found about prison? Well, I, I know that when I taught my first college class, um, I rolled in and and you know the the academic dean is watching, you know, sitting in the back of the classroom with all these students and so forth. And I said, I, I suppose most of you want to know if I have any prison tattoos, right? And they all, oh yeah, prison tattoos. I said, it's none of your business. 
All right. Don't ask me those questions. Don't 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 ask me those questions. And I don't. I don't have any prison tattoos. I saw guys get you know jacked up over having prison tattoos, get infections, and, and all that kind of. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. The other thing was about you know a rape. You know, do do guys get you know is, is the sexual you know rape type thing that occurs in prison? And I would tell him, look, you have a dirty mind. You know, you know I, I saw it happen a couple of times, but, you know, it, it's not as prevalent as they make in, you know, like in Shawshank Redemption or any of these. It's not as prevalent as as, as people think or, you know, oh, he dropped the, the bar of soap in the shower type thing. None of that. I mean, there was some, you know, that, that went around, but it was basically a, a punishment type of thing. Um, the big thing about the, the federal prisons that really bummed me out, to be honest with you, when I first went in, was there's no conjugal visits in federal prison. None. Zero. Mm. And and it was like, what? What are you talking about? You know, 15 years. I, mean, I had a 17 and a half year sentence, 210 months. And I had to do, you know, 15 years, two months, 28 days, you know, no conjugal visits. And there isn't. There, there's nothing in the feds like that at all. Some states have them, I guess, you know, things like that. They have the trailers and all that. But nothing like that in the feds. And so, you know, when Cynthia and I were apart, we were apart. I mean, there wasn't any there, there was no. There was nothing like that happening. So this this whole marriage conjugal type thing it just doesn't happen. So I mean, you know, it was it was it was that that was that was very difficult <laughs> for me to accept. You know, <laughs> sure. Really, the first few years, it's going really. This is this is the way it's going to be for you know fifteen plus years. And the answer was yeah. You know that's 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 the way it is. You you are kept apart. Um, strip searches. Um, you know, I don't know if you, know, you guys probably have never had the pleasure of a strip search. But it was. Have. have you really? No, 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 no. Sorry, I, I said can't, uh, can't say that I have. Sorry, I, <laughs> I, I have. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, well, God bless you, my son. Well, but the, the through all of that, I mean, it was it was just a humiliating experience. Strip yeah. searches, all all that sort of thing. And every time yeah. I went to a visit with my wife, and she came to visit every couple of weeks, and she drives six hours from from the San Francisco Bay Area to to, to Lompoc. Um, you know, it was, uh, you strip search in, you strip search out, you know, uh, and, and yeah. they're looking at everything. Um, yeah. so, I mean, the, it, there's some humiliation that goes with that, you know, and there's, there's the clicks, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a big, tall, uh, white guy. And, uh, at the time I had a kind of a ZZ top beard and, you know, if you, if do you guys know who ZZ top are, I mean, you're kind of young. Yes. You know, you I, I remember yeah. them from back to the future three. So yes. <laughs> uh, worst, the worst one of the, the Back to the Future movies, and you remember that, right? Agreed. Um, the first yeah. act isn't terrible, but yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the 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 you know I had this easy top beard, so they're thinking I'm a white supremacist. But I'm hanging around with the Italians because that's who I was dealing with on the outside, and and so you know there's this group, and there's a lot of click, a lot of racism in prison. It's like a, a microcosm of of society, and the the, the whole concept of of this this dealing with with racism like I'd never dealt with it before was 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 bizarre. So it is kind of a microcosm of of, of society, but at the same time it's a violent microcosm of society. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, until you go to camp. You know, and then then I was allowed to go to camp after after being in prison for a few years, and uh, all the tough guys at the higher level institutions they're really tough guys. They don't have to tell you they're tough guys. You know, they're they're tough guys. And those were the guys that I hung around with, the Italians and stuff like that. I played baseball with the Cubans and, and that sort of thing. Turns out that uh, the pitchers in Cuba are smart enough not to get caught, I guess, to go to prison. So they needed a pitcher, so they had me. And so I was playing on their baseball teams and, and doing that sort of thing. Um, but then all of a sudden, going to camp, it was like... What do you mean by camp? The camp had no fence around it. You know, it didn't have any of this razor wire, all this. It was just like wide open. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And th- and you only get to go there because of working down through security levels, you know. For yeah, me, for- were you, you placed as? Do you just wherever you enter? Are you at the highest security level until you kind of earn your way down? Do they throw you in at a? Here in Texas, we call them L threes if you're in the middle of the way, you know, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, I had a I had a an incident at uh, county jail where mm-hmm. some guys tried to steal my shoes and I went off on them and, and busted some guys up. And, um, so that went on my, my, my prison record, what they call your jacket. Right. Yeah. And so when it, when I was convicted, sentenced and all that sort of stuff, this violence on the record says, okay, well, he's a high security person. You know, I'm a white collar, you know, yeah, I was a little organized crime stuff. I get it. But I mean, I wasn't at any rate, I end up for the first few weeks at a penitentiary in, in Lompo. And I mean, I'm surrounded by guys with doing double life, um, you know, multiple murders, that sort of thing. And before they discovered that, oh, you know, he probably should go to a, to a low. But when I got to the low, even those guys were tough guys. Yeah. Oh, wire, yeah. All that kind of stuff around there. Um, and, and so after a few years, after about five years, um, I get transferred to a, to a prison camp in Taft, California. And it didn't have any razor wire around it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's just wide open field. <laughs> People walked away all the time, but they sent me there to a, to a prison for profit. Basically it wasn't a, um, a regular Bureau of prisons place. It was a place that was run by a, a company that, that, uh, you know, they, they decided, you know, it might be a good idea to have prisoners, uh, be in a business type of thing, you know, where they, they, these prisons are run like businesses. So these guys had no, they were from Texas, uh, had no idea <laughs> about what a federal prison was supposed to be like. And yeah. so, you know, we're getting all kinds of stuff sent in, doing all that kind of, but the, the thing about the prison camp was guys would come there that had less than 10 years. And a lot of the guys had less than five years to do, you know, the famous people I did, I did time with like Tommy Chong, um, the guy who was from the, the Wolf of wall street, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> These guys come in and think, oh, we're tough guys, you know. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Truthfully, you're not, guys. And, you know, Tommy was great, but the Wolf of Wall Street guy was, you know, I, man, <laughs> I was like, really? You're going to have I, this here? I've heard nothing but the worst about that guy. Yeah, he <laughs> seems like a major douche. Oh, real honesty. <laughs> It go, douche doesn't begin to describe it, all right? You, know, you have to put the, these guys in check and let them know, hey, look, you know, <laughs> you're not a tough guy. You don't have any money here, and you know, bad things can happen to you. Keep acting this way. I don't want to so, buy your pen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And no, I'm not going to invest in your scheme. So, so through all of that, these these guys think they're tough, but the the the, the camp is just crazy. You know, it, it's a it's a business. All these guys are trying they're trying to figure out what to do and. And all that. And, and and so I spent a lot of time there. And they sent me, it turns out, the Bureau of Prisons sent me because they thought I was a, an escape risk. You know, they, would, they would ship people there to make these businesses look bad so the Bureau of Prisons could take back over. And so, uh, so I'm there with, you know, like nine years left to go in there. They're all watching me, you know, oh, this guy's going to escape. And I'm thinking, no, I just want to get home. You know, I'm not trying to cause any problems. But every time something would go sideways, guess who got sent to solitary confinement? I did. And, and, you know, he must be in, you know, he's working in the chapel. So there's obviously something wrong there. So they would, they would roll me into to solitary confinement and I'd be there for a while and Cynthia would complain and, and, and eventually I'd get out. But it's just, it's, it's a, it's just. How long would you be there for this? Not anywhere from 30 to 90 days. So, yeah. And it's crazy making like time just stops of the, the guys that I met. Yeah. They call it jail within the prison. Yeah. You know, oh, you got to go to jail. Now, do they also call it administrative segregation or is that something? No, it's called the hole. It's called, um, yeah. uh, the shoe segregated housing unit, but I mean, it's called the hole. And honestly, I liked it. 
I mean, it was one of those things where I liked being left alone. I didn't want to hear all these people talking. I didn't want to hear them going through all this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, honestly, I was more spiritual at that time than I had been any time before. And being left alone was not something you could threaten me with. I mean, it was like a reward. <laughs> <laughs> it was a reward getting away from yeah. these knuckleheads and all the other stuff that was going on. Not, not that I was that different, but just that, that, you know, I liked it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much an only child. So I got used to being alone. And, and I, I kind of liked it. You know, I, I got a lot of time to read. I got a lot of time to pray, uh, do that sort of thing. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Wow. I've heard guys say that, too, that they uh, whenever you go onto the prison grounds where I'm at. So it's about twenty five hundred men at the Texas prison. Um, and the blocks are just set up in these long rows. Right? Right, right. And when you get there, it's and I tell people all the time, they say, you know, what's it like? What's it like? And it's like it's just constant noise. Yeah. And a lot of the guys will say, so they just started like faith-based dorms. Um, and so you can kind of get into the, I don't, did they have any of those where, where you were? They did. I mean, the, the, the problem with the dorms were people had radios, you know, the, the, the little transistor radio type things back in the day. Right, right, right. And they would take the, the headphones and they would take toilet paper rolls, not the, you know, the, the little, um, stuff in between the, the toilet paper, the, the thing that is wrapped around the cardboard, yeah. poke holes in it, put their speakers on it. And then it was like, oh, it's a radio, you know, and they'd be listening to rap or they'd be listening to country music or, or whatever it is. And every so often you'd have to go over and talk to the person say, you know, would you mind turning that down? What's my radio? And and you'd have to, you know, discuss it with them in a, in a, in a very convincing manner to, you know, turn it down. Oh, Luke, it's just like vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it was it was tough. And eventually, you know, I, I got to be the guy who was, you know, the oldest guy on the yard, been there the young, longest. And I got the, the preferred cell at the end of the dorm. And uh, guys would respect that. But until then, it was just a constant battle of, you know, turn that stuff down. It's loud. Quit talking loud. Just, just talk in a normal voice. I'm not trying to hear your business. I don't want to know what's going on. None of that. And I'm trying to be spiritual at the same time, you know, but it's hard to, to be spiritual when you're dropping F-bombs on somebody asking him to turn something down, you know, and so it was it was a little tough. I, I never really thought about that part, but just like how loud that must be. But then but that, that makes sense that that would be exhausting after a period of time, I would imagine. It's nothing but center blocks. So it's nothing but just bouncing yeah. around the sound and all the stuff and people talking. And, and, and so going to the hole was kind of a blessing. The only problem was um, I wasn't allowed to use the phone to call my wife. So she knew if I didn't call, I was in the hole. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. So oh she would God. know and she would worry, you know, what's he done or what's happened to him. As long as I wasn't in the hospital because of a riot or something like that, she, was, she kind of you know, made sure, okay, he's all right. He's just in the hole. <laughs> he's fine he's just outside of human contact for 30 to 60 days yeah but but i liked it <laughs> i was being honest with you know after so long yeah. it was just like you know this is quiet and 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 peaceful and and i could think and i could read and not be disturbed and then some guard would you know knock on the door you know and try and pass food through and go away leave me alone you know that time but it was it, to me it was it was a, it was a nice thing it's kind of like the life i live now i mean i basically live here on the island and I write, do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Cynthia goes off to work and, and, and you know, makes money. And, in a, you know, I'm here writing and it's just quiet. Me and the dogs. I didn't have any dogs in prison. But, I mean, it's just it, I, I kind of like the, the quiet and the, and the solitude. Do you sometimes ask your wife just to remind you of old times to 
play music through the toilet paper roll. <laughs> no, but she will every so often go off and just start playing YouTube videos on the TV. You know, that type of thing. You know, oh, look, here's Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, that's, that's very nice, dear. Very, very, very. <laughs> you missed a man named Zach Morris. Here's some movies. Here's some television shows. Yeah, and she's introducing me to people that I that I didn't know before. You know, the the, the Adele. I mean, Adele. who's Adele? You know, that type of thing. Or... Uh, she likes uh, Melissa Etheridge. One of the songs that she sang was uh, Walk Through the Fire for You and that type of thing. <laughs> and, you know, she was playing it the other night, and I'm just blasting it through the, the, the speakers and all, because there's nobody lives around us here. And and I go, that's you know, that's lovely, you know. And she goes off to work, and I've got Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd going on while I'm writing my dissertation. That's right. <laughs> 70s. Mm. Yeah, well, I, look, yeah, exactly. I mean, I wasn't sure. You know, I lived in the 80s and all that kind of stuff until, the you know, the, the, the feds intervened in my, my regularly scheduled life. But, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much, you know, Phil Collins is my 80s guy, you know, 90s is a total nice. blur to me. I have no idea who, who was singing what in the 90s. So, like, what was, um, and then I promise we'll get, we'll, like, it, we'll, we'll get into your book. I just have so many questions. I don't um, care about that. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, like, when you came out, like, so, like, in the film, um, a, I think it's American Gangster with, De with Denzel Washington and, like, and, like, Russell Crowe. When he comes out, it's, he goes in the jail. I think it's in the late seventies, and he comes out, and it's the nineties, and it just shows me just there, and it's like everything has changed, and he's just like a stranger in <laughs> a strange land, which was his hometown. Like, right. what was that like? I mean, because like you left, you basically like I missed the because you got out in like two thousand eight, right? Two thousand seven, right? Okay, that's right. So like, and you went in, and so that would so, so then you would have gone in like ninety two. I went in in, in 90, well, I got arrested in 91, and they okay. let me out on, on bail for a while. And then my sentence started uh, the day after my birthday in 1993. Okay. Well, that's okay. a fun present. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then here's something very biblical. I was 33 at that time. Mm. Mm. 33. 33. 33. Three, three. I know. Three, three. I, I've heard right. it's all downhill from there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like so, like what, well for him it was yes. <laughs> so like, I mean, so what was that like? I mean, just in terms of of like, um, not like seeing people that you haven't seen in a while. I'm sure like that that in of itself is just like a crazy experience. But just like the culture, like what is it like to encounter a culture in your home, but it's all different. Yeah, well, I I I rolled out into a halfway house in September of 2007, and I'd been in prison since you know 93. Let, let me just backtrack for a second. I had the first cell phone in 1988, which was the big block purse type yeah. thing that had the phone yeah. that had the cord in it, right? And uh, I'm, I'm a baseball fan, football fan. And I went to the World Series with Cynthia in, uh, I think it was 89. Cynthia and I go go to the, to the World Series. And that's where the earthquake is, right? Oh, and man. I'm the... Yeah. Uh, you know, right? And so we're in San Francisco. We're at the World Series. Roseanne Barr is sitting uh, two rows behind us. All right. And that's where she turns and pulls her pants down and shows it, you know, whatever she was showing at that. And, and, and so the earthquake hits. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's just people stomping their feet at the top. And then I look out and I see the, the field, you know, kind of these waves <laughs> going through the house. So and, crazy. And yeah. I, because in San Francisco, the, the Candlestick Park was, was built on a, on a garbage heap, right? So, you know, it was when we suddenly realized when chunks start falling to the ground of the of the of the ballpark, because hey, there's probably not people stomping on the ground. So I said, you know, they call the game. I said, OK, Cynthia, let's go. We go. We get back in the car and I've got my cell phone. Right. 
and it's this big old thing. And I'm, I'm trying to call uh, Napa where we were living at the time where, where, you know, we had the babysitter with the kids and all this kind of stuff. And, and I have the cell phone and I've, I've got it up to my ear and I'm, I'm talking to him and everything's fine. And it's okay. And Brett Butler, one of the outfielders for the San Francisco giants comes up and says, Hey, can I use your phone? And so that was the last cell phone that I ever had was that one. Cause <laughs> a few years later I'm arrested. Wow. I'm in jail. The only cell phones I see are the ones that the, the guards are smuggling into the, to the prisoners, right. For, you know, they pay them money or whatever, bring a cell phone. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. I roll out into to 2007, and Cynthia says, hey, hey look, Mike, uh, I'm going to give you a cell phone that you can use. And I said, I don't want one. She said, why? I said, I want people calling me. I mean, if I want to talk to somebody, I'll call them. I don't want them calling me. And she said, no, no, I want you to have this cell phone because I want to be able to call you because I've never been able to call you for the last 15 years. I said, okay, I'll use it. So I'm looking at the cell phone. It's one of the flip cell phones, you know, 2007, and, and I'm just, and I can't figure out how to use it. I have no idea. Um, she, I, I, she says, no, this is how she has to explain to me how to use this cell phone. Now, all I had heard about were things about the internet, you know, and I figured the internet was like a giant library where you could look stuff up and, and everything's true. You know, it's like a giant library of Congress. So <laughs> yeah. this, That's about it. This yeah. is great, you know. And, and so I'm, 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 I'm thinking this and she says, no, that's not exactly how it works, Mike. You know, there's, there's, there's different things you need to learn, you need to understand about it. And so I had no idea about cell phones. I had no idea about the internet. Um, I had never played a video game. Okay. And, and that's to, the worst. look to this day, I've never played a video game. I played one time with my son. He was playing basketball and he was mad at me at the time. He was a teenager when I got out. And if you don't have teenagers, You'll know what I'm talking about later. They just, they just, <laughs> they hate their parents. They know everything. And so he just tears me up on this video game. So I don't want to play anymore. And I haven't played a video game since then. I don't own a video game. I've never played other than that. You know, when my son trashed me in basketball and, and so I, there's all these things, you know, and, and I'm trying to figure out, well, you know, what's going on. The cool thing that I found was the coffee shops. You know, coffee is way better now than it was back in the 80s. <laughs> right? I'm just saying, you know, you may have to pay five bucks for it or ten bucks, but it's great. I mean, <laughs> that's got to be people. You don't understand. It is worth the money. You're wrong, Dave. Dave, Dave Ramsey. Let people quit, enjoy their coffee. Yeah, quit bashing all these coffee shops and stuff like that and paying money for it. I mean, it's worth it, dude. I mean, you ever had coffee in the 80s? You know, it was terrible, you know? So I, I love the coffee. Was trying to figure out the internet, and then all the 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 political correctness, you know, the the when I went to prison, you know, when you referred from to someone from China or Japan, you referred to them as Orientals. Mm -hmm. Oh, now you know it's like you you know you kill a cat in front of people or something like that if you say something, you know, all the political correctness of of trying to understand um, what offends people and what doesn't offend people. And, you know, I come, you know, my thing in the eighties, you know, I was kind of headed, you know, the head of this, this crime thing that I was doing and I, I didn't care what people thought. And, and that's kind of my attitude anyways, you know, even after, you know, coming to God, understanding and, and being spiritual and doing that, it's still a matter of, you know, I don't really care what you think or what you're saying, you know, and you can't do that now. You know, the, the, the whole idea of, you know, I'm offended, you know, if you offended somebody in prison, you got stabbed. Right out here, you offend somebody. What are they going to do? They're going to sue you. I mean, what are they? What's the deal? But this whole political correctness thing, this this blaming everybody for everything instead of taking personal responsibility. I don't get it. You know, 
And and so it's this 2007, and Cynthia's trying to explain this to me and walk me through it. And, and you know, you, you don't you don't talk to people that way, Mike. You know, you don't swear at them. You know, you 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 know, the MF word is not an adjective. Okay, so don't <laughs> don't don't do that. You know, and she's walking me through it and explaining these things through me to me. And and I you know, I kind of get it. You know, at the time. But I'm 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 still worried the feds are still after me. You know, the feds don't care about me. I, I don't do anything now. I didn't, you know, everything's I'm all clean. All, but I was constantly worried that Big Brother was over my shoulder, just waiting to 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 get me. Even in, and 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 now as as I've been out what eleven years uh, this month, uh, it's it's one of those things of I I don't quite get why everybody's so touchy about everything. You know, and, and it's a little difficult for me. I mean, even with the students, when, I, when I'm teaching college, it's, it's one of those things, you know, at a college, I don't get how people can be offended by such stupid stuff. And and it's a, it's, so that's the generational thing. That's the thing that changed so much. I mean, the only thing I knew about the 90s in, in prison was everybody loved the Lion King. That was it. Guys, we sure guys did. Are, oh, my God. We, we sure people, did. They brought out the Lion King. They brought it into prison. People, there were guys lined up to see the Lion King, you know, the, <laughs> the Lion King, you know, and they're using all these names, you know, Uma Kadada or whatever it is. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking, this is stupid. <laughs> this, is, this is a cartoon. You're like, this is stupid. I'm a Tarzan man. Go Phil Collins. <laughs> I'm a Johnny Quest guy. I'm not trying. I, I want to hear Phil Collins, you know, tonight, tonight, and, and the old Miami Vice with Don Johnson and the, and the other guy, Philip Michael, whatever, you know, that so it's been a little difficult that way coming in and, and Cynthia helped me through that. Um, and then my students, you know, when I, when I, when I teach or when I've taught, I mean, I'm not teaching right now, but when I, when I've taught the students have kind of taken me under their wing and say, Oh no, you know, you can't say that <laughs> you're, you're, you're a college professor now, Mike, you need to kind of settle down a little bit. And with like elbow patches, you can't be doing these things anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, cool. So, um, let's kind of like just talk like, like big picture really, really quick. So like you went to jail, um, what happened? Yeah. What, what, what was the, um, the, the, the cause of your extended vacation? What did you do? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was a dumb way of asking that. Yeah. It was international money laundering. You know, it was, it was an idea that, that, uh, you know, you could, you could hide money from the feds. And and by using overseas banks, because back then fax machines were brand new, you know, there was no internet, there was nothing like that. So I was helping people launder their money and they the feds described it as a as a Ponzi scheme type thing just to make it. That was my I love that part. Yeah. You're like, they call it a Ponzi scheme. It wasn't. It was money laundering. (laughs) That's what I was doing. Yeah. That's what what I got convicted of. Right. I mean, you know, that's that's why you do, you know, the, the, the 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 severe prison time came from money laundering. And the idea was to to clean money up that was dirty, and and that was that was what I was doing, and and it wasn't unusual. It's just I did it really well, and had you know I had like fifteen hundred people working for me at the time, and oh, wow. yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it was it was just <laughs> it was one of those things. But it was it was one of the 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 big deals at the time was money laundering. You can you can get people to roll over on the people and work their way up. Well, look, I'm the only one that did time for my for my crime. I'm the only one. No one else did any time because of me. Um, I didn't roll over. I went to trial. 
um, did all that kind of stuff. Not because I'm a stand-up guy, because I was an idiot. You know, I told everybody afterwards. If I'd known better, I would have told on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm being a tough guy, and I'm trying to be all those things. And and um, trying to keep up appearances, a lot of pride, all that sort of thing. It was, it was international money laundering. I mean, and money laundering carries a 20-year prison sentence. And the the international money laundering, you know, was pretty severe back then. I mean, I was I was convicted under drug statutes, but never you know, uh, convicted of anything regarding drugs. I didn't have anything to do with drugs. I was just cleaning money. And, you know, it was, it was a, it was a popular thing to go after at that time. And, uh, my co-defendants were acquitted because when, when I got on the stand and, and testified on my own behalf, um, I cleared them. I said, yeah, I lied to them. And so the jury found them guilty, found me or found them not guilty, found me guilty. And, uh, the, the government was a, a little disappointed and only getting one person after a multi-year, multi-million dollar investigation. What, uh, how, how did you get involved in that? Like one of the things that, you know, the prison that I go to is young dudes who got involved in gang, yeah. gangs and drugs and all that. How did you get involved? How does one go into the Monday one international money laundering? Yeah. You're going to, you're going to love this. I was, um, a radio talk show host, right? And, um, I had a, a lady on the, on the show that was a, a psychic and people loved psychics back then. Uh, and, and so I had her on the show regularly and, and, you know, people would call in and she'd do her, you know, her psychic thing and, you know, just it lit up the ratings. I mean, the ratings just went through the roof. And, um, one day I mentioned, you know, I'm making like, you know, $1,500 a month as a, as a radio talk show host. And I said, uh, man, I, <laughs> I gotta figure out something else to do. And she said, well, let me introduce you to some people. Well, the, the people they were introducing me to were, were people who were involved in, um, international money laundering. <laughs> wow. Right. Radio broadcaster, international money laundering. Yeah. Why not? And, and I, that took and a I, hard right turn. I was not expecting that. I wasn't expecting <laughs> it either. But I, I called BS on it on the first time. I said, nah, this is crazy. Yeah, put money in my account and I'll believe you. And I gave her the bank account and you know, it was like half a million dollars shows up. And I said, okay, Whoa. it's on. It's on. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it is sold. on. So, yes. You know, my soul, everything else sold. And so I got involved in it that way. And, you know, without mentioning names or anything like that, I'm just, I just went head over heels into it and I kept it from my family. I kept it from everybody. No one knew, no one in my family had any idea what I was doing. I had a, a criminal lifestyle. I had a family and it was kept separate the, the whole time. My wife had no idea what was yeah, going on until the feds showed up and raided the house. And she was, she was pregnant at the time and uh, she had no idea what was going on. Oh man. Oh yeah. It showed up in the newspapers, this investigation and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, it came out of nowhere and, uh, she stayed with me through all of it, which, which, you know, just as a, a testimony to her. Um, but the, the deal is, I mean, I had two lives and, and I, I started there. She introduced me, you know, not my wife, but the psychic introduced me to some people who introduced me to some people. And, um, because I've got a, a little more of an outgoing personality, um, it, 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 <laughs> it worked. And, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was a, a five year run in the eighties and it, <laughs> you couldn't do it today. Let's put it that way. You couldn't, you, you could not do it today, but at the time it was, it was cutting edge stuff. And, uh, when the feds came down on me, uh, it was, it was, a, you know, it was a big deal. It was all the papers, TV, all that type of thing. And it was, it just, it was a, a blind side to my wife, my family, people who knew me all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a, a, a total surprise to them. 
So now, when did the change happen for you in while you were in the prison? Like what? What drew you away from the dark allure of money and all of that? And was it just the 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 pain of what you did to your wife, or no, no, it wasn't that. Um, I don't know how to explain this other than I'm just going to be straightforward here. Um, God reached down and smacked me around and, um, all of a sudden, all the thing I, I was working in the, in the, in the prison kitchen, uh, when I first went to prison, uh, at Lompoc and, uh, my deal was I made Pruno. Do you know what Pruno is? Not even a little bit. Yeah. Pruno is illegal alcohol. I would make, I take, uh, <laughs> I would take uh, yeast and bread and some sugar and fruit and I would make alcohol and then I would sell it. You know, we had a we had a little organized thing where they would sell it to the different units in the prison, right? And uh, that's what I was doing. I was making book. I was, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not stupid, but I'm, you know, I was able to figure out how to make book while I was there. You know, as far as betting on football games, baseball games, so so I'm I'm right in the middle of this 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 organized crime type of thing in prison, right? Uh, trying to make money, trying to do all these things, and all of a sudden, for for you know, I'm there for a year or two doing that, and I never got caught. Cops are never interested in me. The guards are never interested. Suddenly I get transferred to the chapel <laughs> out of nowhere. Religious services mm. department shows up on this, this job sheet one day, you know, you have been transferred to the religious services department. And I'm thinking, what is this? And so I, I show up there and, and the chaplain says, you know, look, I've, I've read your, um, your, your jacket, you know, the reports that they, they yeah. generate about you. I've read these things about you. You seem like you're, you're, um, I'm able to organize people, get them to do things. I'm like, yeah, I'm great at that. What are you talking about? And, and, he, <laughs> and he said, um, I want you to, to do that for this department. I want you to work for me. And I said, nah, nah, I'm going to, I need to work in the kitchen. You know, that's how I made money, you know? And, uh, instead he, he kept me there. And so I would have to deal with 13 different religious groups, um, every week, you know, from the nation of Islam or science temple, um, the, the Jewish faith, Christians, Catholics, all these groups, 13 different groups, you know, Wiccans, all this type of stuff. And, and I'm there and I'm organizing the department for them. Cause I figure, you know, I'm, I'm here, I may as well do it. I organized the departments and, and one of my jobs was that uh, I had to, whenever visitors came in and, you know, you know, Gomer, if you're a visitor going in, looking as a visitor going in, you know, they have to organize the, the timing set up for the services, do all that sort of and every week there were visitors coming in. And every week I would have to wait until the very end, until they had gone, that I could clean up the chapel, then I could go back and you know to myself. And every week there was the same guys going up, you know, the Protestant services to get saved. You know, you know, the same guys every week getting saved with different groups so they looked like they were they're actually doing something. And I'm sitting there every week watching this, you know, just what I consider to be nonsense. I couldn't go to mass because it was all in Spanish. <laughs> the all the all the Catholic guys were Cuban, Puerto Rican, uh, Mexican, that type. So they had a Spanish priest coming in that would that would that would do the mass, but it was all in Spanish, you know. And, and the only Spanish words I knew were the nasty words, you know. And he never used any of those. <laughs> so I'm I'm so I'm I'm going to the Protestant services, and and you know I, I am beginning to feel guilty about you know I'm going to be here forever. Why is my wife waiting for me? She's not going to wait for me. My kids. What about all this other stuff? I don't get it. And I'm sitting in the back every week, you know, just listening to this stuff and, you know, thinking about other things. And, and one week I'm feeling just like, this is never going to end. I'm always going to be in prison. Um, you know, I'm going to be 
48 when I get out, I'm going to be, you know, what, what use am I? I don't have any job skills. And then being a broadcaster and, you know, what, who's going to want a, a criminal as a, as a broadcaster doing a talk show? And I'm sitting in the back and this guy is preaching. And at the very end, he's having this sinner's prayer type of thing, right? Every week I've heard it, I've never done it. And I just kind of start praying and I said, look, God, um, you know me and you know my life. You know how messed up it is. You know how just a jerk I am. I, you know, if you want me, here I am. If not, you know, that's cool too. I get it, you know. And something clicked on the inside. And I can't describe it any better than that. It just clicked. There was like this, yeah. this moment where everything that I was and had been I just kind of lifted up to him and said, you know, you know this, and you know more about me than, than anyone or anything else. And this feeling came over me of, yeah, you know, I get it. You know what? And I love you. And it was, it was, you know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like all these patterns just came together in me. I mean, I see patterns. I don't see, I don't think linearly. You know, I don't think like, okay, you know, my wife won't let me balance the checkbook. You know, I'm, I'm that bad at that. I can do statistics, but I can't do a checkbook. So I think in patterns <laughs> and, and I just lifted everything up to him. I mean, it, it was one of those moments where I just, and he, he, he let me know that he loved me regardless that I wasn't some, you know, piece of garbage, but that I was a, you know, I was a real person, you know, that, that he, he cared about me, that he loved me, that, that everything was cool. And, and. I just, I, I kind of fell apart at that point. It was, and it changed me. It changed me dramatically. <laughs> One of those things like, uh, does this mean I'm saved? Does this mean I'm, I'm in grace? Does this mean I'm out of grace? And he said, you know, quit asking so many questions. Just, just know that I love you. I'm your dad and everything's cool. And it was, it was, it was beyond belief. I just, I, I can't really, uh, describe it other than it was a personal experience, a personal encounter, you know, with God. Yeah. And then, Later, I began reading books and stuff like that about it, trying to figure out, you know, what happened? <laughs> is this what happened? And, and there were all these books in the, in the prison chapel at Lompoc. There was the, the Summa uh, by, by, by um, you know, there's a Summa Cum Laude. There was, there was um, all these different books. I just started reading things. I was reading the, the, the Talmud. I was reading all these, trying to understand this idea that, you know what? God loves you the way you are, not the way you ought to be. Mm. And it, it just, it just, it, you know, it was like being touched up, you know, being smacked around a little bit, but lovingly. Yeah. And, and that's what caused the change. Now it wasn't, it wasn't something that I went out and broadcast, Hey guys, you know, look, I've had this spiritual, it was one of those things like, you know, what happened to me? You know, am I going crazy? Is there something happened? Has happened, something happened to me that, you know, suddenly I'm going to become a sociopath or a psychopath or what's going on here. And it was just a matter of, of there's something greater than who we are. And there's someone greater than who we are. That was the beginning. And then when it began to the relationship of he's my father, and I and I and I started reading, you know, the the practice of his presence by Brother Lawrence, where Brother Lawrence has a conversation with God every day yeah. rather than having I mean, that book changed my life. <laughs> what are those when I teach prayer now, I require them to read Brother Lawrence. You know, the idea of having a conversation. You know, I, I tell them never say amen unless you're praying over food because everybody wants to eat, or if you're in the middle of a service <laughs> where they want to move on to something else. Just have a conversation with them every day. Just listen. And I began doing that. And it, it changed the way uh, I was. And and uh, I don't know if that sounds too sappy, guys, but I mean, that's the truth. I mean, that's what happened to me. And it, it wasn't like all of a sudden I began speaking in tongues or all of a sudden I got the stigmata or anything like that. 
it was a matter of I suddenly realized there was somebody who wanted a relationship with me, and that person was the creator and sustainer of everything. And so for the next several years, <laughs> there was that 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 was there was this growing presence of God in my life. And you know, it wasn't this thing of I'm gonna go out on the street corners and preach or I'm gonna do anything like that. I just wanted to withdraw and have time with him. That's why going to the hole was great. You know, I could I could read, I could mm -hmm. pray, I could meditate. I could do those things. And then, you know, they said, well, we want you to preach or we want you to teach. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. But it, but it, it evolved into that. And, and so that's what happened. That was the, that was the, the real catalyst, the, the turning point in my life that, that brought me to God and, and got rid of the, the, the old Mike, you know, the, 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 the violent, uh, criminal crazy guy and, and turned him into somebody. You know, here's how I describe it. God took out a heart of stone and put in a heart of marsh of a marshmallow, you know, and I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little upset about that. You know, because I, I don't like crying when I see people who are homeless or things. <laughs> I don't like that at all. You know, I'm a criminal, you know, I'm a tough guy. I did a lot of time in federal prison, but it, it just, it just changed me. And, and I'm yeah. so grateful for that. You know, and there were there were people along the way. You know, there was a, a Spanish speaking priest at uh, at Taft that took me aside and and through the translator would talk to me about Thomas Aquinas. Uh, you know, <laughs> nice. talk to me about, about the the early church fathers. There were other guys, you know, that would that would come in that were volunteers that would talk to me about you know Luther and Calvin. That would that would talk to me about the the early church fathers. And, and their spiritual things and the things that happened to them and, you know, that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> You're not crazy, Mike. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> that is awesome. So what, uh, what advice do you have to maybe like <clears throat> a family member who is a Christian who's about to lose, you know, someone to the prison, you know, whether it's a long sentence, short sentence. Um, because right now we have uh, a handful of listeners who have written in some of who are ex-cons, right? They did time in federal or state penitentiaries. Um, some of them are, you know, uh, we had woman, one woman who has contacted me a couple times, but she listens to the show solely for my, you know, silly little prison stories. Uh, because for her, it gives her consolation that there are people in the prisons doing work that her son is now at. Yeah. You know, people have even stopped my mom after church and they've been like, you're the woman who's son. Like, I just go to one place. People, but it's like this. But I talk about it as if I'm the king of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, Gomer way. <laughs> that's, that's the old Gomer ego. Um, what, what, what words of advice would you have for people who are about to enter or have loved ones? You know, the the. the... <sighs> Look, I, I I did some prison ministry when I got out. Um, there were there were, you know, there was a couple of groups. They they, they figured that hey, look, you've been in prison, you can go back and minister to those guys. And it's like you know, yep. I, I really don't want to go back and hear the door lock. You know, I, it's just not uh -huh, not because of uh -huh. PTSD. Just I don't like being locked up. But the 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 thing <laughs> when I went back was, um, you know, looking at guys, I I had a, an ability to read them and know who was real and who wasn't. It was one of the, the things that, that God kind of opened my eyes about because I, mean, I, I knew who was real and who wasn't. But generally, the only advice that I can give you is this, is that God loves that person so much that he has intervened in their regularly scheduled lives and put them in a place where he is going to confront them one-on-one, -on -one, and their choice comes at that point. All right? 
Yeah, I mean, not that every person that goes to prison is going to come out, you know, the, the, the super spiritual person, but God has taken that step to intervene in their lives. He didn't allow them to be killed. He didn't allow them to, to, to continue on in their crimes or do anything like that. But he took a step at that moment to, to put them into prison where he can have one-on-one -on -one time with them. Encourage them to do that. Encourage them to take uh, a few. Look, I, when I got the, the, my, my first study Bible, and I have it here sitting on the desk next to me. It's a Hebrew-Greek study Bible. Um, I, I divided that Bible up into 18 sections every day, and I read 18 different chapters every single day for at least 10 years. And, and understanding who God is, because it's not, you know, the Bible's not written in a linear fashion. You know, it's, there's, there's different time frames and that sort of thing. But that yeah. this is an opportunity to, to meet God one-on-one -on -one that you will not have on the street. When you're out there trying to make money, when you're out there trying to, to, you know, whatever your hustle is in that particular time or whatever crime you're involved in, you know, you're not thinking about God. But right now, God has taken this step to put this person into a position where he can now have them one-on-one. -on -one encourage the person to spend some time each day getting with God. Just that. Not just, and, and, and again, I go back to Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence changed my life. That conversation with God every day, the idea of, of whatever you're doing, ask him, talk to him. Don't praise him if you don't feel like praising him. If you're, if you're pissed off that day, don't, don't lie to him because, you know, God knows you're lying. Talk to him like, like he really exists, like he's a real person, and let him talk back to you. Listen. Understand through circumstances, through whatever you're going through. Spend he has intervened in your life to put you in that time where he separated you from family, friends, and everything else where it's just you and him. Don't waste that opportunity. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So um, many of those guys in the prison would say, like, how happy they were that they're in there. Yeah. And you're like, why are why are you happy? He's like, this is where I met God. Yeah, I was I was never happy. Understand? Even after I met God, I wasn't happy. <laughs> it was one of those things where I was constantly questioning Him, and you know, why are you why are you letting my wife go through cancer while I'm here? Why are you letting my parents yeah. die while I'm here? You know, what is this all? You love me so much. What's this all about? And and He would answer. You know, and it's not like I'm hearing you know, hey Mike, this is what I'm going to say. None of that. But it was a matter of experience, of circumstances, of going through things. Um, of, of having a relationship in a sense that's something much deeper than, you know, somebody standing in the pulpit and preaching at me, mm -hmm. you know, I, every day. And, and there was only one church in there, <laughs> whether it was Catholic, Protestant, whatever, there was only one church. There wasn't like a second prison church. You know, you had to go to the same church if you were going to go to church and you saw brothers, you saw how they lived or didn't live, but you, you had this relationship and this opportunity to know God that you couldn't get otherwise. You can't get it out here on the streets. It just doesn't work that way. So in a lot of ways, I, I sometimes point out, you know, when they ask me about prisoners that, you know, that's a special crew. You know, God, God allowed this to occur for a reason. You know, this is a special group of people that are there. And, and not everyone has the opportunity to go to prison and spend time just with God. Don't waste that opportunity. So that's what I tell them, you know, and then there's people that, you know, they don't want to hear that, you know, oh, no, these prisoners are awful. They're this, that. And, you know, I get it. Uh, but the prisoners that are real, that, that really are looking for something deeper than, you know, slinging drugs or, or making money, that are they're really trying to understand, you know, what, what's happened in my life is those people will change. And they're very powerful when it comes to, to spirituality.
And if they're not encouraged about that when they get out, then, you know, that's why they go back. You know, it's, yeah. so I, it's just a special crew. So that's that's how I would put it. That would be the advice that that, that, that I generally pass on. Uh, one part of your book that like really hit me, I, I think it's just because I've just experienced this in my own life. So my own like sin stuff is when you, you talked about how before you got you got arrested every night you'd be home and you just think i'm gonna get caught this is all gonna end yeah like could could you just like talk about just like what that is like and perhaps because i I think like why i wanted to bring that up is i think i think there are a lot of people out there who experience that within their own life whether it be a pornography addiction um and affair and addiction to drugs or like heavily illegal things i think we've all kind of experienced a thing like that like this house of cards is going to yeah. come crashing down. Um, like, if you get a person who's kind of going through that right now, like, and it could be about something that's highly illegal or just, you know, again, like a porn addiction, um, how, like, what would your advice to them be? You know, the, the, the feeling that you have when there's no way out, you ever been in that where you feel like there's just, well, I'm not going to ask you that. Just don't raise your hand. Um, there, there, there's, <laughs> there's just no way out. There's this, this thing of, I can't see a way out of this. I'm, I'm stuck in this. I can't, no matter what I do, I, I can't change it. Uh, I am, I'm just going to have to keep going with what I'm doing. I may hate myself for it. Uh, all of those things. Uh, this, this, and, and that was my feeling at the time. There was no way out. I mean, I had all these people working for me. I had all this stuff going on. Um, there was no way out. And I would pray, you know, even though you know, I pray, you know, I just want out of this. I just want out of this. And, and, and what it came down to was you're right. You, 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 there's no way out for you. Uh, one of the guys that I would, one of the things I would say when I was in prison and, and, and talking to guys was, you know, look around you. This is the result of your best thinking. Okay, here we are. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great line. But it was, but it was true, you know. And you look at the bars and the razor wire and the the guys in the towers with guns, or or that you know, this is a result of your best thinking, dude. And and so, it, it, what makes you think you can think your way out of this? What makes yeah. you think that you on your own can 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 change this? Your your great strength of will and all this kind of stuff, right? And look, I I looked for ways out, and there there was no way out. So it. It took someone outside of time and space. It's not controlled by circumstances. It's not controlled by uh, the, the, the things of this world, you know, physics and all these things. The law is controlled by it took someone who, who's above that to change it. And, and when he did change it, I didn't like it. It wasn't like, oh, thank God, I'm arrested and get to go to prison. Now I don't have to commit crime anymore. There, there, there was none of that. It was, it, there was resentment, there was anger, there was frustration, there was fear, there was all of those things. And, and, and so realize that in order to get out of the circumstance that you're in, it takes someone other than you to do that. And, and you know, for me, that's God. And, and I'm, uh, I didn't like the way he did it. I didn't care for the way that, that he separated me from, from my wife and my family, but it worked. You know, and if you really want out, that's really the deal. I mean, look, when, when I went to prison, all my contacts, all, everything that I was, you know, I was dead to them. That was it. Sorry, I just clapped my hands. That was it. I was I was dead to them. Uh, when I got out, I was dead to them. Great, because <laughs> there's no temptation to go back. 
And, and yeah. so you've got to trust that someone knows better than you do. And I think it's our egos that keep us in these, these, these things, whether it's addiction, uh, whether it's crime, whatever it may be, it's our ego. You know, we have to be that's in control. And, and so that's, and, and look, either, either you practice what, what you know to be true. And, you know, scripture says the fool that said in his heart, there is no God. And, and, and when I, when I teach any kind of theology, I said, you know, realize people who say they don't believe in God are fools. So just kind of, you know, scripture, oh, I'm sorry. Scripture is, 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 is clear on that. They're fools. All right. So the, the, the thing that I'm trying to get at here is that fools can still be educated. They can still be, um, helped to understand what's going on. And then, then they can decide, you know, this addiction that I have, like you're talking about pornography, you're, you know, you're talking about all these other things. Do you really want to get over it? Or do you just want to stay where you're at? Because if you're happy where you're at, and that's what I tell the guys in prison, if you're happy to be here, you keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Congratulations. You know, you're in prison. You got the prison sentence. All these things. Congrats. But if you want to change, let someone change you. Let someone help you. Let someone uh, that's, that's greater than you, the creator and the sustainer of all things, help you. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And that's the definition of insanity, not growth. Yeah, that's the great thing about having people who were in prison, because I could never say that. Like, I could never say that line, uh, you know, this is the result of your best thinking. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Right? They'd be Don't, like, oh, it's yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Let's, come here. Let me show you about the best thinking. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> You're demonstrating my point right now as you punch me. Right? So. <laughs> like, not, not only my face, but my heart. More the face right now. But still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I hated it when guys came in and said, you know, I could be here too. You know, I just didn't get caught. And I'm thinking, oh, so you're smarter than me. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Look, they think they're identifying with you and in reality, they're insulting. Yeah. I'm just telling you, don't, don't ever say that. All right. And nope. <laughs> and if you have, go wouldn't apologize immediately. You know, I was wrong. I was terribly wrong. What I usually say is, I'm just a chubby little homeschooler who doesn't understand your world. <laughs> Tell me about your world that I might understand. Yeah, but but you know that one of the chaplains that had the most impact on me was a with a Southern Baptist guy, who said, you know, when he, when he first applied to go to the Bureau of Prisons, you know, they do all the background checks, and he never had a speeding ticket, he'd never been late on payment <laughs> for his bills, he never he didn't have any, so he had to double check him. You know, he's like squeaky clean, but but this guy was so open about you know his spirituality. You know, he said, hey, you know. Look, <laughs> I, I love God. I, try, I don't always know what he's doing. I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't always know. But he says, you know, I've, I've grown to trust him. And this guy had a real impact on me. You know, the, the, the straight-laced guy was entirely different than the guy who came in and said, yeah, you know, I killed 20 guys and I only did five years because God intervened. And I'm thinking, dude, you know, God didn't intervene. There's something else going on there. You told on somebody, you know. But the, the, the deal was there's a difference. You know, Jesus changed people. He wasn't like everybody else. He changed people because he was, you know, he was entirely different. And so when you roll into prison and, and are talking to guys, just be that entirely different. Just be who you are. And 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 don't worry about trying to relate to them. You're not going to relate to a, a guy who's, you know, slung drugs on the street since he was, you know, 12 years old. You're not going to relate to that. Just go in and talk to him about God, who God is, what he does, how he works, um, the, 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 the way that he loves people, you know, the way they are, you know, not the way they ought to be, you know, and, and, and. That's that's the best way to get to prisoners. You know, be who you are. Be open and honest. You know, you know, I don't know what you've been through, but I know God, and here's what I know about Him, and and that's you know that's a whole lot more effective than going in trying to relate to to, to guys like you know me or or anyone. I hated that when people would do, yeah, you know, I I could have gotten caught for. Don't tell me I'm stupid, dude. I'm not trying to listen to that. 
I just want to know about God and who he is. And, you know, when I was reading about the early church fathers, too, you know, the, they didn't go into these pagan communities. I know what it's like to be a pagan. No, they didn't know what it was like to be a pagan in, in anywhere else. They just they just preached Jesus, who he is and and, and what he does and, and how he's, he's, you know, how he works with people, you know, and, and the beauty and majesty of the church. Not not. You know, I can relate to where you're coming from. You know, no, you can't stop it. You, you, you don't know who I am. That's, yeah, it is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know people that that's like, oh, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm just a mess. And you're like, stop, stop. Just it's not our place to pretend like, look how awesome. Right. Look how awful we all are. People. Yeah, I don't hear that. You know, because they 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 very sharply see the difference between, you know, the men in white versus the men on the outside. Yeah. Right. Like they know that there's a difference. And. They're not like with us glossing over it in order to it's I mean, it's the same as a baby boomer using the lingo of a millennial. Like, it's just sad. Oh, yeah. Take off the skinny jeans. It's just not working. Oh, my so. gosh. I mean, the first time I used the, the term with my son, um, Hecka, he, look, <laughs> he looked at me like, what are you doing? You know, what, how and he started laughing at me, you know, and it's like, no, I'm trying to you know, use your language, son. You know, this is words that you use. And yeah, but you're an old man. Don't <laughs> be who you are. Don't, don't, you know. Can I tell you that I have one story that I think is an epic fail on my part. And it was right at the very end of a very impassioned Father's Day address to these men. It was a, um, I do this thing called glorify and I went and I talked and, uh, in the end I meant to say, in your cell, but I was trying to be cool and hip, and I said, "In your celly," <laughs> and celly means your cellmate. Oh my god! So I talked about being inside your celly, and then I stopped and I go, "Whoop, whoop!" That's what happens when a, uh, <laughs> when, a when a theology major tries to be uh, tries to talk street, and they're all like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They probably appreciated yeah. that, but I mean, at the same time, it is pretty embarrassing. I mean. I know when I was, I was, there was, this, um, I, when I was in prison, I, I took a lot of courses, went to seminary, did all that kind of stuff. And when I got, yeah, people don't know that there are seminary, it, it, it's like a, a specific prison that's affiliated with a seminary in the outside, right? Like that's what, yeah, well, it about. wasn't in the feds. I mean, I, my, my wife paid for all my classes. Right. And, and so I, I went oh. through the, the masters of divinity. I, I got my doctorate in theology, all that kind of stuff. And so I go, I come outside in 2007, I'm thinking, okay, I'll be able to fit right into the church. All right. This, this is, this is not <laughs> going to be a problem at all. I'm a natural fit. And the, the, the pastor of the church that my dad was a, a deacon at said, Hey, you know, I want you to come work for me and I want you to do a Bible study. And, you know, people were coming to the Bible study all of a sudden. And, and I was, <laughs> I let out with a, with a, with a swear word accidentally, uh, during, during a Bible study. And, and you would have thought that I had sacrificed some human in front of them, how offended they were at this swear word that I used. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it was like, it was like the worst thing I could possibly do. You know, in prison, it would have been like, oh yeah, Mike, you know, probably shouldn't say that, but yeah, okay, we get it. There it was like, oh my, is, is this guy even with the Lord? And, and it was, it was just awful. So, I mean, it, it works in the reverse also, you know, doing, doing that type of thing. And, and yeah. it, it was just, uh, ugh, I get it. You know, but, but when you said in your celly, I mean, really? I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, I know. yeah that's very that's bad. bad. 
very That's much. Like, boo. They all they all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> boo, Gomer. No. Boo. <laughs> no, I'm sure they laugh. They're thinking, oh, this 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 guy. <laughs> this this guy is trying to be one of us and it's not working. He gets it. No, that's what they were thinking. They were like, yeah, he gets it. We're all going to be in our cellies tonight. <laughs> no! Yeah, I was teaching a Bible study. The, the, the Spanish guys, uh, Spanish Catholic guys asked me to teach a Bible study one time, right? And um, you know, I, I learned my Spanish from, and I'm not good at Spanish. I learned it from, from uh, the Cubans that I played baseball with and with the Mexicans that I played baseball with, right, in prison. And uh, I, I was using a word uh, I, was, I was trying to communicate, you know, I was teaching Leviticus, right? You know, nobody, nobody's read Leviticus, but I'm mm. teaching it, Leviticus, right, to these guys. And I used this Spanish swear word, all right, that, that I didn't know was a swear word. And I'm not going to repeat it here because, you know, look, guys, I'm still trying to get a job. But the the, the, the thing was, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, good luck. I know, huh? <laughs> but when I, when I was using this word, their eyes just lit up and they said, what are you doing? Why are you talking like this? And I said, well, that's why I learned Spanish, you know, but the, the culture that I was in at that time, it was perfectly normal to use that word. But as soon as you talk about scripture or you talk about uh, anything that has to do with God at all, you have to stop immediately stop swearing. And I didn't even realize it was a Mexican swear yeah. word. So I, they told me later what it meant. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? And, but it was straightened out, but they found, and I'm trying to bring you some solace here. They found some solace in the idea that I was at least trying to, 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 <laughs> to reach them at some level. It was important enough to them that, that I, that I tried to relate on their level. Yeah. I don't know if yeah, you thought that about me. I certainly <laughs> didn't think that about me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go then. Congratulations. Well, they were just like, quit while you're behind, Gormley. <laughs> Hey, hey, fa- <laughs> hey, fatty. That's enough. Wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Your beard isn't impressing anyone. You're not yeah. hard. <laughs> I just want to mention your beard. Your beards are pretty cool. You know, I, I've, I've seen the pictures. That's cool. I have a long beard also. Uh, I had a beard in in uh, prison that was kind of this easy top beard. I had to cut it at one point because I played in a band, right? And I got my beard caught in the upper E string of a guitar one time. And, <laughs> and I, I'll do it. Oh yeah, I had to recommit my life to Christ at that particular moment. If you understand, what I'm saying. but you guys do have. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My mom uh, yeah. hates it, and she goes, "Why do you have such a big beard?" I said, "Mom, the prison that I go to has a lot of Muslim uh, Sunni Muslim men, and they don't take grown men with beards without beards seriously." <laughs> and she goes, "Really? Oh, well, okay." And I was like, "Yeah, not really. Yeah, I just wanted a long mother. What is wrong with you?" Yeah. Boo. Oh, so many things. <laughs> Boo, the Gomer. Gomer. Boo. Wicked Boo Gomer. the Gomer. Boo the Gomer. <laughs> well, we did have we did have a Muslim gentleman who stood up at the end and said, "Now I'm Muslim, right? Uh, and most of y'all don't got beards." He literally that was his uh, opening line, uh, and then he said, "I was taught my whole life that you Catholics were the worst <laughs> people, but y'all men of God, I like you, y'all men of God." And I was like, "Oh." Goodbye, Crusade. Yeah, I was I was reading the Quran in my in my cell one time. I read all I read everything. You know, I was reading the, the Quran. I was I had time. You don't have time to do these things. So I I was reading the Quran yeah. and I came across the passage in in one of the surahs that, that that mentions that they love the people of the word. You know, if you uh, yeah right. Yeah. And uh, so I used to have dinner every Friday night with the head of the Nation of Islam. You know, uh, he was a he was a friend of mine. We're still friends to this day. 
And uh, he's, he's a little shorter guy, had the shaved head, all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of a tall white guy with a beard. And we walked down the aisle, you know, from the from the cells. They always said we look like a 10, you know, walking down thing. And <laughs> so, so every, every we would. And I brought that up to him. He said, I've never read that before. I said, well, you guys don't read the Quran? He said, no, we have our own book over here. And, and it opened my eyes to this idea. There's all these different scriptures, all these different holy books, all these different things. But all of them have to do with beards. You know, beards are good. Beards are, you know, you can't really be a spiritual guy without beards. You know, you look at all the early church fathers, beards. You look at, you know, beards, beards. all that stuff. You know, even the icons from the uh, Eastern Orthodox, all the guys, beards. So, I mean, moms should not be upset. Don't, don't feel like you have to justify yourself to your mom for having a beard. I'm 36 years old. I shouldn't have to justify her, justify myself to her, but I still, still do. I get it. <laughs> Mom, I'm a grown boy. I'm a real boy. My mom always wanted me to shave my beard, but I look like the the Gerber baby picture. You know, that time the Gerber baby. Thing. <laughs> Dad, you know, I'm getting a beard, Mom. We're not. There's no discussion on this right now. My mom was like, "You're prematurely balding. You should probably have a beard." I was like, all right, Batty, fine. When I, when I got out, I shaved the, just to have a, a goatee, and I shaved my head and that sort of thing. And uh, I got this job uh, at this college, and the first day they said, you look like Mr. Clean's evil brother. I said, thank you. Thank you very much. I like that. <laughs> I feel good. Now I, I feel, feel good. justified. I, so it, would that make yeah, you Mr. Dirty? Just, yeah, uh -huh. apparently so. It didn't last too long with a job. But yeah, no, I, I like the beard. So I just want to mention that ahead of time. I really do support guys with beards. Nice. And we feel your support. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Emotionally. Yeah, yeah. Well, here in South Texas, it's not always great to have a beard. I will tell you what. In the last, uh, I think, it two months, it's been hot and oh. that type of thing. So the beard's not great. Now, you know, we had Hurricane Harvey last year. Now we have this little storm coming in. Everybody's emptying all the water shelf, you know, the bottles of water from the, the water shelves here at the, the HEB and all that. It's a big, long lines. So it's going to rain for like, you know, two days. It's like, oh, it's Harvey again. It's not. No, it's not. And, it's just made mayhem right now. Yeah, I told my wife after Harvey, I said, next time, listen, honey, we were able to help a lot of people, but I just lived in constant mm -hmm. fear that for our kids. And I'm like, next time we're, we're going to your parents' house in St. Louis. Like, I don't well, know we, crap. We're just driving until we can anymore. You left the I'm island and, and went into Corpus, and, and I, I found a hotel that would take our dogs. I have a big Newfoundland and um, an English cream oh, golden wow. retriever. That's my wife's dog. It's kind of a sissy dog. But the the, the Newfoundland. And yeah. so they put us on the third floor of this hotel, right? That's, there's elevators and all that. I, I Without thinking that the, the power might go out. And so when the power went out, then we're walking the dogs down three steps, you know, three flights of stairs in the dark to let them go outside in hundred mile an hour, you know, winds. Oh, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Now everybody's freaked out again. Oh, it's going to be like 35, 40 miles an hour. Oh my God. They're freaking out. So I don't know. Just don't calm down. God's in control. And you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? We get three inches of rain. And come yeah, on. Yeah. But Oh, what oh, a these three guys inches. Just ridiculous. I'm glad I don't talk to people here on the <laughs> Island. I have no friends. I've been here. Four years. My wife knows everybody you know, at the hospital because she's the grand high pooba and doing all that kind of stuff. I don't know anybody here on the island. No one. You know, and and it's it's great. I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, I talk to my dogs. I talk to God. You know, it's all great. I can write. You know, do my dissertation and and you know if I writing other books and do that sort of thing. But I, I know no one here. You know, and, and and I'm perfectly fine with that. It's like, oh, we need to go out to dinner with no, no, no. We need to sit home here and and watch uh, Madam Secretary of the Sopranos. Yeah, that's exactly like it was like in prison. <laughs> Cynthia, right there with the Sopranos. You see them? They're just like that.
is is there like part of you that just like feels like you just need to kind of like after all that just to kind of relax? I, I'm I'm I can't relax. I'm not I'm not that kind of guy. I mean I'm I I, I can hardly wait to start the you know we're gonna do a podcast. I can hardly wait to start the next book. I can hardly wait to I, I I'm constantly moving. I like doing stuff. Um, but I, I'm not really good with people. You know, one of the, I'm not, I don't have all those people skills. You know, we went, mm-hmm. my, my wife has the uh, a Christmas party we have to go to every year for the hospital. And there's like all these hospitals here. And we go and all the, you know, the big shots are there, you know, the COO and whatever FOs or whatever they are. And, you know, I wore a T-shirt last year that said, um, sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to come. And it was, <laughs> yeah, Merry yeah, I Christmas. Don't even, I don't even think about what I'm putting on. It's, you know, it's, it's like it's in the rotation. You know, whatever T-shirt comes up, that's what's going that day. And, and so I don't have these people skills. When I, I was vice president of a, a small college in, in Oakland, California for a while. And uh, I, I just didn't have the people skills to deal with bureaucrats. You know, I just, I just don't. You know, I could deal with students. The students love me. You know, they kind of take me under their wing. Oh, Mike, you know, I think you're a little developmentally disabled. So we're going to have to help you with this, you know. But I, I just didn't have the skills to deal with with all these these bureaucrats and stuff. I, I just don't, you know. And and that was part of what made me a success as a as a radio talk show host. You know, I would say anything. You know, we're going to talk about feminism and terrorism and how did the same today. You know, that type of thing set people off. But it, it's just I, I there, there's no filter. There's no uh, I just don't have the people skills of the the 21st century. You know, I, I'm I'm perfectly oh. fine scrolling through Facebook and see all this drive-by evangelism. I don't feel like I have to go to church anymore. You know, I just, oh, God says this. Okay, great. You know, let's watch football now. You know, I, I don't have those people skills. And <laughs> and I guess they were developed sometime in the 1990s, you know, when I was trying not to get stabbed or, or going through, you know, riots. <laughs> how come you don't know how to have uh, apolitical small talk? Oh, because I was trying not to really? get stabbed in the 90s. Oh, Did good point. Did you hear good what point. Trump said? Did you hear what Hillary said? Yeah, and you know what? I don't care. You know, he's like, oh, oh, no, you got to care, you know. And, you know, did you vote? Yeah, I voted twice. How about that? You know, I, I just, I, I don't get it. All these things that are so serious to people today seem so penny-ante to me. They're just, just like. Honestly, what you could really do is at any point in time, like when you're trying to like, if you get into, if you get into an argument with millennials about the stuff, just like really ended with, and you know what else? The Lion King sucks. Walk away because they'll be dead. <laughs> you shut your mouth. You All right, well, up. as long as you brought that up, speaking of which, the Avengers, Infinity Wars, mm-hmm. sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched it this weekend, and I'm not going to go to the movie theater, because unless I can sit at the very back with my back against the wall, I'm not trying to go to a movie theater. I watched it this weekend, I went, oh, this is this is so millennial. Oh, my God. And so, and, and Cynthia's watching it, you know, and she's going, oh, no, it's all right. I said, no, let's go to Deadpool 2. I just want to go straight to that. I want to watch that. All right. And she's, no, no, Avengers. And she she thought it was pretty good. And I thought, oh, this is just awful. And why don't you just kill everybody? What? Just kill everybody. Not half the people. Yeah. Get everybody gone. <laughs> everybody but you and your dog. Not, Not the, the sissy one. one. Me and Cosmo, <laughs> we're staying here. Everybody else can fade into dust or whatever, you know. Although, <laughs> sorry, honey, that's just, that's just the way I feel after being in prison for 15 years. <laughs> Thanks for saying about your man, but you but got to know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm listening to you guys review of it. And I'm going, oh, this is not going to go good at all. And I'm going to say it. <laughs> oh, oh, these guys are extremely <laughs> awful. No, I got where you're from. It's just like, you know, you know, you need to get back in the 80s. That you know, was a terrible movie. All right. We need to. Yeah, it is terrible. <laughs> just terrible. No, no, you're right. Tango and Cash was much, much better. 
Yeah, uh, I think you're thinking of Big Trouble in Little China. Turner and Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, the other things I have, I've never seen The Matrix all the way through. Oh, I've oh, never seen. Come on. I've never seen come Forrest on. Gump all the way through. Don't worry about that. Okay, well, first, what you should do is watch The Matrix, then watch Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. Starring Another Will one. That sucks. Why have you seen the Wild Wild West? They used to but show not movies. The Matrix. They would show movies in 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 prison every right. Friday night, right? And depending upon your uh, pecking order, you know, since I'd been there for so long, I got the chair in the back, in the corner, against the wall where no one could stab you, right? And so nice. I'm thinking, Wild Wild West, I, I remember that from the 60s. You know, oh, this is going to be great, Artemis Gordon, all this kind of stuff. And I'm watching it, and about a third of the way through, I get up and walk out, you know. <laughs> and I think, oh, this is just like the worst movie I've ever seen. And <laughs> Savage this- just gave up the no-stabby chair. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and that's what he's going to do to not watch Wild Wild West. I did the same thing in Lion King. You know, the guys were all, cr- I'm serious, there were guys crying watching the Lion King, right? And I'm thinking, this is just pathetic. What is this all about? And and they're, you know, and they're all Makuma Tatata or whatever it is and all the little animals. And my son's, you know, he's he loves Lion King. He's got Lion King sheets. You know, my wife's telling me, look, he's got Lion King sheets. Do not make fun of the Lion King. All right. Okay. So, I, but it was terrible. I mean, God, it was just <laughs> awful. You know, oh, we're going to hold this little lion cup. Well, let's just toss him off the thing and let's move on with another movie. You know, that type of thing is what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> Because it's his son, damn it! It's uh, his son. Yeah. No, it was the monkey that was holding up the the the. the That's the, a good point. That's yeah. a good point. He could chuck him off. Nobody's going to say anything. The monkey serves <laughs> the family, though. <laughs> oh All right, whatever. <laughs> There's something the wrong monkeys. with that too. That's true. He had a That's blue true. butt. <laughs> All right. Well, that that clears up everything, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that that is the most catching foxes thing ever. He had a blue butt, <laughs> and somehow the conversation just died again. And we were talking about God, and then all of a sudden the blue butt thing came up again. We like to. I do want to say. I do want to. I do want to say this at the very end. I meant to say this earlier, but the um, the notion with Brother Lawrence. I was just talking about that book with someone else. Oh my um, Practice the presence of God, and uh, I was just talking about it with him last week, and he was talking about the impact of that book and the spiritual practice of an ongoing conversation with God and how it just, it just changes you when you stop viewing God as this entirely away from me being yeah. and, and acknowledge that his transcendence allows him to be imminent, right? Like, yeah. it's not either or. And in Christ Jesus, he desires to be with us. And so when you have this experience of like, so, you know, for us as a Catholic, right, communion is the big deal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the uh, the other day, as I'm going to the prison, I did the one thing that I've never had to do, which is get the hosts from the tabernacle and bring communion and do a communion service. Right. And I don't do that because I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a Eucharistic minister and stuff. But obviously, I have permission from the cardinal to to do this this ministry in this isolated kind of situation. So I had to go and get all the stuff. The guy that um, usually does it, he is being trained, or he is a chaplain's assistant. So he's right. the guy from the outside that comes in. Once a week, twice a week, he has his own flak jacket and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and he goes on the solitary wing, and he'll do communion to the you know MS-13 guys from El Salvador and you know all that stuff. Uh, and so he's just he couldn't do it, so I did it. And I'm driving in my car with the Eucharist in a pix, fifteen hosts for you know fifteen guys that I'm about to give it to, and it's just it changes the way you are when you're alone with yourself, yeah, right? Because you're not alone. You're aware of this abiding presence 
next to you. And so, like, everything I was like, okay, Lord, what music would you like to listen to? Because <laughs> all of a sudden, my playlist doesn't seem appropriate to be played. Yeah. Guess we're listening to the audiobook of John Piper on fasting. Okay. Mm. It's a good book. So that's what I did. I listened to an audiobook on fasting. Wow. I bet he was I bored. <laughs> I bet the Lord. He's like, are you kidding me? I freaking love ZZ Top. Change, change the channel, dude. Come on. I, I, I love that book. I love Brother Lawrence. Um, the, the thing that, that struck me, and there was a, a class that I taught at a, at a college called uh, Theology of Prayer. And I said, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. I said, I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to, for one minute, think about nothing but God, just God. Ready? Go. And and so 60 seconds goes by, and I said, okay, how many of you were able to do it? You know, and about a third of the hands go up, and I said, okay, you're all lying. I mean, there were other things on your mind other than thinking about God. I said, I, I, think about that for a second. If you're having a conversation with, with your, your, your friend or your wife or your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, your attention is focused on them. You're talking to them. They're talking back. And I said, one of the things in the Old Testament that's fascinating to me is that the, the Old Testament fathers, when they talked to God, they expected him to talk back. It wasn't an option. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm just going to pray to you now and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up the, the, the phone type of thing. I, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to wait for you to respond because you know, you're, you're, you're God and you're going to talk back to me. Most of us today don't expect God to talk back to us. They just don't. You know, it's like, okay, God, you're really great. We love you. You're, you're just tremendous. You're an awesome, awesome God. You're really great. Uh, here's what I need. You know, I need this, that, and the other thing. Okay, okay, amen. And amen becomes that that hang up of the phone. You hang up the phone. I'm done. So if you did that with your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, how long is that relationship going to last? Mm -hmm. And and they, they, they kind of look at me, and I said, okay, so here's the first rule in my class. Uh, we will never say amen at the end of a prayer. We're not, you know, praying for food where everyone wants to eat or we're not trying to move along a service. We're going to pretend like we're not going to hang up the phone on God. Uh, we're not going to lie to him about how great we think he is when we really have other things on our mind. We are actually going to have a conversation to him like he really exists. So let's pretend for a second like he really exists, that we're not just talking about a concept but about a person. And, and you know, you couldn't think about him for 60 seconds. I said, Brother Lawrence, when he began praying, he was saying, you know, it took me a while, you know, to, to, to realize that, you know, I, I couldn't think about him for 15 or 30 seconds or a minute without thinking about something else in my life. And, and then when I did realize I wasn't thinking about God, I would come back to him, oh, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. God wasn't interested in that. It was just a matter of, okay, let's pick it up. <laughs> okay, stop. I know who you are and how you are, and let's, let's move on. Mm -hmm. and, and that prayer life, was so significant to him when they said, okay, it's time for Vespers, Brother Lawrence. You know, his thing was, hey, you know, what's the difference between, you know, Vespers and the rest of the day when I'm chopping carrots in the in the kitchen? You know, God's real. He exists. He's a real person. And why don't I treat him like a person and listen to him? I'll talk to him. And if I forget, you know, he'll call me back. And that was the remarkable thing about Brother Lawrence was when he would forget about God, God would call him back and say, hey, you know, Brother Lawrence, me, remember God. And to me, that's amazing. A relationship that's so strong that that even when you mess up, God calls you back and says, "Hey, you know, Gomer, all right, change the channel." You know, I've heard enough John Piper for now. He calls you back. I and I'm sorry, I'm probably rambling on that, but I just find it so important 
that our relationship with God be as strong as our relationship with our friends or our family, you know, that we treat them like a real person and, and instead of like some, you know, out there otherworldly thing, you know, and you've got the host sitting in the car with you there. That's enormous. You know, that's, I've never had that happen. <laughs> I haven't had the host sitting in my, in my car like that. Um, but you did. And he's right there with you. And what a, what a great corporeal presence of the creator and the sustainer of all things sitting next to you while you're listening to John Piper go on and on about whatever he's going on and about. So I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for, for going so long, but, but no, it's, just so, beautiful. it's just so important to me that you know, look, when, when I, when I get the halfway house, they made me go to counseling, you know, they figured, you know, he's been in prison 15 years, be a good idea for him to go to counseling. And I used to have to walk to this, this, this counselor's office, like, you know, several miles away, you know, I was walking in an empty car and I was talking to God and it was like the worst neighborhood in Oakland, California that you can imagine. And they see this big white boy walking down the street, talking to himself. Well, they're going to leave me alone. But I was talking to God out loud. I do that here at the house. I talk out loud. And, and every so often, Cynthia, you know, my wife will say, are you talking to me? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was talking to God. Oh, okay. But I do. I talk out loud. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with believing that much that, that my father is that interested in me and I'm that interested in him? Even if it's over something as stupid as, you know, you know, you know, God, is, is Case Keenum really the right guy for the Broncos? You know, even something <laughs> as, as stupid as that, he's interested and, and I'm interested in him. And there's a relationship as a, and that, that developed in, in, in prison. That's what it took for me to get it. You know, I, Jesus had 12 disciples, not just one. I mean, OK, one was a rat. You know, I get it. But the, the, there were 11 people otherwise that had very different personalities and different ways to get yeah. to him and talk to him. Why is it any different today? So I apologize for lecturing. I'm, you know, no, no, Dude, you are speaking to my heart right now. So that's uh, awesome. I really look. I really do have a relationship where I talk, and I, you know, he talks back. You know, it's not like you know, you know, okay, Mike, this is what I want you to. do. None of that. But there's the circumstances. There's the scriptures. There's there's things that people say. I mean, I can whenever I'm, I'm debating something, and here's how here, here's how it is. I live on this island, right, in Padre Island, and there's all these birds and stuff like that. And whenever God wants to comfort me and I'm sitting out back, pelicans fly over. I love pelicans. I know they're ugly birds. Everybody hates them. But I love them. And whenever he's confirming something, I see a pelican or two pelicans or a whole squadron of pelicans fly over. And it's a comfort for me from God. It's a, it's a, it's a sign from him that, hey, you know, relax. <laughs> Take it easy, dude. It's, mm. it, it's all right. That's a sign that means something to me. It doesn't mean anything to anybody else. But it means something to me. And I've shared that with my wife and she gets it. And, you know, it's like, you know, he, he, he doesn't have to just talk to you. He can show you. you know, people can say, I love you. But until they show you, it doesn't really mean much, does it? But he shows that to me. And I'm, I'm impressed by that. Beautiful. Wow. Well, we're going to wrap up right now. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more, if they want to read your story, if they want to? Yeah. I don't know. I can't imagine you're super big into social media. Well, you know, I, I, I do stuff on Facebook. I, you know, the, the thing on Facebook, I thought it was a joke. You know, people didn't tell me that, you know, people take Facebook seriously. You know, so I make <laughs> jokes. And do it all. I didn't realize social media was like this big thing until, you know, people were telling me, hey, Mike, you know, people take it seriously. Stop making so many jokes. But, I mean, if they want to buy the book, it's on Amazon. You know, it's a, uh, what's it called? Uh uh, prisoner's perspective, the redemption of a criminal mastermind. That's fine. You can go there. Um, 
MikeSavageBooks.com is my website. That's fine. Look, I'm horrible at marketing myself, just horrible at, at asking people to do stuff. I mean, that's that's never been my thing. You know, writing the book wasn't to make money. It was because, you know, people told me, you know, hey, look, we'd like to hear your story. My, my probation officer told me you should write a book. And and I did that during Hurricane Harvey. When that hit, I had to drop out of um, out of my graduate program for my, my PhD for four months, and I wrote the book. And um, so I, it's not like I'm trying to sell a bunch of books. I just like people who get to know God. That's that's my thing. And you know, my uh, the, the my uh, was my in laws are all lay ministers in the Catholic Church. My wife was raised Catholic. All of those things meant a lot to me once I began reading, you know, John of the Cross and and all of these things. But I also learned a lot from from Protestants. And and so just get to know God. Know that he's real. Know that he's your father. He's not some out there type of thing. All these things that happen in the church aren't aren't the 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 end all to religion or the end all to God. You know, this, God is different, entirely different. And, and he's your father and he loves you. And that's that's what this was about. You know, it wasn't a thing of, of making a bunch of money. Although if they make a movie, I had originally thought that Robert Downey would be good playing me. Until I saw the Avengers, and I thought <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> you're like, Never oh, yeah. yeah. Now yeah. you're like, well, it's only uh, Ryan, whatever from Deadpool Two. Now yeah, yeah, I'm thinking Ryan. Guy. Ryan Gosling would be great playing Mike <laughs> Savage. All right, okay. Yeah. We'll just have him a little Italian accent. It'll be just fine. But guys, I, look, I I enjoy it. I really appreciated you guys. You know, you know, being willing to to take a chance and talk to this guy. You know, so oh, what's sure, going on? No. I um. I really love that your book. Um, just before we go, I just, this is this is I like so many things that I wanted to ask, and I apologize that my that my internet crapped out a lot towards the end. It's fine now, but I'm so sorry that I was kind of absent for a bit. But, anyways, I love the fact that in your book, like you didn't spend like half the book saying, "and here's how like badass of a criminal I was," mm-hmm. and like going through how you did. I, I don't know. I I feel like a lot of times in books like this, or especially in like movies like this. Half of the film or the book is about like it tries to glorify that, yeah. And it it, it, it they don't show who was hurt or like who was no. the, the damn. It just shows like isn't it great being a horrible person? Yeah. You know, and I, I really like that you like kind of dive right to no. Here's the consequence of all of this. You, like you really didn't like explain any. I mean, you did explain like what you did and you did admit your guilt, which I thought was very like vulnerable and very cool. But the fact that you really went so deep into like this is what the consequence of this stuff is like. Yeah, that was very cool. I appreciate that. I mean, there was there were I was encouraged at one point by some folks to say, oh, yeah, talk about pistol whipping people. And I, Dude, that has nothing to do with anything or talk about, you know, going overseas and, and doing something. And it was like that, that's nothing to do with the consequences. You know, you can watch that in any movie, but the effect that it has on the people around you. And the the effect that it has on on your own mental state, who you are, and and what you think you are, I mean, it it's, it just wasn't worth it. So I appreciate your seeing that. I I really do. I mean, the 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 thing with my wife staying with me. I mean, how incredible is that? I mean, there's yeah, there's no, nothing. So we, there was, we get to that part. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at my picture on the back of the book. I am not a handsome man. All right. So there wasn't anything like, <laughs> oh, yes, he's a handsome. He's Fabio, so we should definitely keep him. Nothing, wow, that guy's lived a hard life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. did, he get, did he get hit in the face with a bird or something when he was riding a roller coaster? <laughs> I mean, he did. He did. I mean, that really parents, while you were gone. Yeah, my my parents told me. He said, "Look, son." Uh, you're you're not really good looking, so we're going to teach you how to cook, so you can keep a good woman. <laughs> and 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 that's I do. I'm a great cook. I will admit to that right away. You know, I can I can make prison nachos in a in a trash bag in a, in an instant. But, you know, the 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 <laughs> deal is that that she stayed with me. I mean, what a remarkable woman is that? And yeah. and it's and it's 
It's just God that could do that. The, you know, there's people, most people lose their families within a year of the time they go to prison. If it's an extended sentence, you know, they're gone. I, I saw that. So is, yeah. so that's true. Like, so that's, I mean, like, obviously it's true. I, I, I read that in your book and, and it's going to start. And I know that we have to wrap this up. I was just so amazed, like little things like that, that I, as a dude who's never been to prison and don't know anyone who's gone, like I've never thought about like, oh, wow, people who go there lose their family. Like people, yeah. they get on a divorce or how you talked about in the book, how like you came out and all of a sudden you had to pay like, what like hundreds of thousands to your, you know, ex-wife and they uh-huh. garnished 25% of all of your wages. Having to like, just, those are things you don't really want to think about. No, yep. and, and and but I mean it's it's the truth. I mean the 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 tax board in California takes twenty five percent. She took twenty five percent, and but I don't care. You know, it's one of those things where take it. You know, yeah. whatever I yeah, make yeah. is yours. You know, and but the 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 deal is, um, there's more to life than money. And look, I made a lot of money. I had a lot of stuff. Went a lot of different places. Uh, and you know, people say, oh, there's there's more to life than money. And money is the root of evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. And but my thing wasn't about money. It was about power and control. And God stripped me of any power or control. There's, there's nothing like being strip searched by a you know 22 year old in a in a in a prison visiting area to humble yeah. you, realize, you know, dude, you have no control. All right, you're not in control of anything. And so, I mean, it it, it just changed me. And so today, you know, I still have some rough edges that you know God's working on, um, but I'm I'm an entirely different person because of Him, not because of me coming to some decision of you know you really ought to change but because he changed me because he loves me that much and he loves people that much, especially those who are, who are the least lovable by society. And so I, I, I hope that some way I wanted to get something other than a prison book. You know, there's a little bit of violence. I talked about the thing that happened in the County jail, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's, and there was a lot more, <laughs> you, you don't go to prison without there being some things, you know, jumping off, but the, just no reason to put them in there. You know, the, the real thing is, you know, what, what's the effect on others? You know, what, my actions, my words, my deeds. And I know you've been trying to wrap this up, so I probably ought to leave you alone. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel bad because we, we have kept you for an hour and 48 minutes longer. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I hadn't noticed. I enjoy this. You know, it's one of those things. I hope I get to come back. I, I want to be a, I want to be with these guys again. I really, look, I enjoy the podcast. I mean, I've listened to what you guys have talked about. But there's some stuff that, you know, it's pop culture that, you know, okay, I don't get it. <laughs> You know, but, you know, if you want an old guy who doesn't get it that you want, I just I, I enjoy it. You know, I was, I was listening, like I say, to, to the, the questions and answers the other day. And uh, here's your thank ten, you. Here's yeah. your 10 minute questions. You know, they go for 20 minutes or whatever. It's like, <laughs> I, I love a buddy, of, a buddy of mine sent me a text message and he said, uh, I think you should call it in the end. They average to about 10 minutes because there was like five <laughs> that we did. That was like 30 <laughs> seconds each and then three that we did for 20 minutes each. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, know, I got it. And I, look, I never grew up. You know, I'm probably still 18 years old, still have that that mentality. But I mean, it's it, I just enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking with you guys. It's been, and like I say, I've I've got you on my subscribe list now. I finally figured out how to get the iTunes thing on my my uh, computer. Go. I'm going. Ooh, I'm in the 21st century. <laughs> Welcome my, to 2009. I, I know <laughs> exactly. You know, and I'm still catching up on you know stuff we watch on Netflix. And I'm, like, Madam Secretary is pretty good. Wow, this is pretty good. You know, it's like 20 years old or whatever it is. You know, watching. watching Have you show. heard of Friends? Oh my gosh! I've never seen an episode of Friends. <laughs> ah, you're good. not missing much, except it's so good. Yeah, that's what everybody says. <laughs> Cynthia got me to watch a Will and Grace when they brought yeah. that back. And yeah. I said, I said, this is stupid. She says, it used to be so much better than before. And I said, well, this is pretty awful, Cynthia. She goes, yeah, let's just, just delete it. It's okay. Just delete oh, it. 
I just almost I'm knocked over my soundboard. So hopefully I sound okay. Um, I just got excited because <laughs> I wanted to make a Frasier comic. Oh, have you heard of Frasier? <laughs> uh, well, from Cheers, but I never saw Frasier. On, it's on great. It's great. Frasier. That's one. That's definitely one worth uh, worth watching. Just right. just start from the very beginning. Frasier is fantastic. All right. Well, I'll ask Cynthia because she was a big fan of Cheers. I thought Cheers was stupid when it was on. You know, I, oh gosh, you're killing me. You're I killing me. Okay, I you know. might not like. Frasier. I feel like you're just old man <laughs> screaming at clouds now. Is that I what know. you're doing? <laughs> here, here goes the house with the balloons on it, and here goes Mike. You know, no, I, 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 I get it. I mean, it's just I would watch the show, but I was more into stuff like say, like Miami Vice, the original Miami Vice with Don Johnson and stuff. You know, guns, shooting, yeah. music, rock and roll. Okay, we're good to go. This is this is this is the thing. This is the great things. Now you know we're watching stuff. You know. I finally got Cynthia to watch stuff on on Netflix like uh, The Punisher. I said I was about to say Daredevil or The Punisher. Yeah, yeah, I watched right. Daredevil. Iron Fist I thought was ridiculous. Uh, oh, so stupid! I'm, even though I'm watching season two right now, <laughs> I've hated every minute of it. I'm like, this show is just. Uh, Wait, I, I'm going to watch season two too. Also, uh, Jessica, whatever it is, uh, what's her now name? Jessica, Jessica Jones. I mean, that yeah. was kind of like, okay, she's a tough chick. Okay, that's fine. I get it. Uh, the first one, the first yeah, season, I liked. The second season, I was like, this is. This is just terrible. Everything about this is terrible. Yeah, Luke Cage the same way I felt. It's kind of like, ooh. Yeah. Wait, so back in the 80s, were you not a big fan of Alf? Oh, no, I, I would watch Alf, but I was watching him with the kids. You know, the kids are watching. They they thought it was hilarious, and I'm like, okay, well, they're being quiet. As, you know. I was born in 83, and I freaking loved Alf. I'll be real honest. I loved Alf. Yeah, my, my um, oldest <laughs> son was born in 83, and he was an Alf fanatic also. He said, oh, this is just great. And I was like, okay, you just be quiet and watch the show, all right? I'm going to go with <laughs> But yeah, no, Alf and, and all that. I was trying to think of the other, but the, the well, oh, Star Trek, you know, Next Generation. Oh, Next, good. Oh, yeah. Good. good. Everybody, oh, yeah. that was great, you know, that type of thing. And then I come out and I see all this other Star Trek stuff. And I was like, they let a girl be captain? What is this all about? <laughs> <laughs> They're people, too. Mm, I'm not sure <laughs> about this. a second, you know, and Cynthia's looking at me like, okay, just don't talk right now. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't say any of this to your college students. <laughs> yeah, don't say anything to anybody like that at all, you know. There is honey, honey, they're letting women in the grad program. What is this? Women. <laughs> my entire dissertation committee is women. How they're controlling my life, Cynthia. And I'm complaining, and she's looking at me like, you know, just, just stop. You know, what was wrong with you? So yeah, no, it's, there's been some some cultural shifts. And then moving to Texas from California. Oh, well, no, that'll do it. Well, that'll I, do it. I, grew, I grew up in Florida and Colorado, and then moved to to, to California and became a you know talk show host. I did. I was the, the uh, news anchor on the world's smallest CBS affiliate. Moved to California, and it's like, oh man, what is this? It was just so bizarre, and I could hardly wait to get out. The other reason I spent thirty years there was fifteen of those was when I was in prison. <laughs> And so as soon as she, as soon as she got the job out here, it was like, okay, let's go. Now I'm in Texas. Everybody's got a gun, and nobody knows how to drive. Uh, uh, I'm not going to debate that. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm saying, look, our, our insurance rates are a lot higher for car insurance here. Yeah, they, they just drive crazy. So I mean, I've got a Jeep, you know, four wheel drive. I'll go right over the top of you. But I mean, I hardly ever leave the island. So I mean, I'm kind of like this. I guess I'm in the hole on the island type of thing. There it is. I love there, it. There it is. All right, guys, it's almost 11 o'clock. I really do have to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So Thanks we got all, all the book stuff out there. Thank you so much. Oh, no. uh, Pleasure. Yeah. You can find Luke at the Luke V. You can find me at Lay Evangelist on Twitter. All right, y'all. Y'all have a good night. Awesome. God bless. Thank you, Thank you right. so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.